Hello again. Welcome back. Oh, I see you, you weren't put off by the last episode. Well done you. Um, you have thicker skin than I. You're a braver man than I. So congratulations. Um, yeah. Uh, going by feedback I got off of um, Twitter and other such um, sort of fields, uh, the general consensus seems to be that people want me to do uh, an episode a week. So you want to spend at least an hour a week listening to me waffle about absolute cobblers. So um, great, I, I can deliver. That's something I can sort out for you. Um, yeah, generally people seem to like it. The, the sort of the format that I've pro you know proposed and I went with last week. So I'll do that again. That's fine. And uh, yeah, I guess hello again and welcome to episode two. Um, yeah, I've, I've listened back to it and did that typical thing of anyone that has to listen to their own voice or see themselves like in a photo or whatever and they're not quite sure what to make of it. It, uh, it, it you know, listening to my own voice. But, you know, there's some stuff that I've learnt and there's some stuff that I've picked up and there's some stuff that I, I will try not to do if only because it annoys me if not anybody else. I'll try and stop tapping the desk so I notice that when I get into a topic and I gesticulate, I tap tables or I, you know, tap desks. Very occasionally I will punch and thump a table as well if I get really animated. So uh, I'll try not to do that. Um, I will possibly still end up slapping my thigh. I think I did literally just then, so sorry about that. Um, I've got a glass of water here because uh, my throat was drying up quite badly last time, so I've learnt from that one. Um, I won't do a horrible sort of slurping ASMR at you, because uh, that's only funny once, to be honest. If it was even funny then. Um, yeah, I guess I should just launch into... Oh, so part of the sort of introduction and, and talking about sort of what I'm going to talk about, if that's even really a thing. An introduction to an introduction? No, that's stupid. Um, part of what I'm going to talk about is uh, nostalgia and the way that it's technically a manufactured thing it's uh it's can be very toxic it can be very fun and nice it's almost never exactly what we think it was and it's yeah it's it's a thing and it's 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 something that can either benefit or damage someone depending on their mental state as it currently exists and depends on the nature of their past and so on and whether we're talking about nostalgia as a collective or nostalgia as a as an individual but yeah i mean the trouble with it i mean it, to link it back to sort of the fact that this is a blog cast and it's meant to be about sort of my life and stuff which as i say i'm, I'm sure people aren't super interested in but there we go um is the fact that how many of you have had one of those moments where you've sat down and gone oh fuck what am i doing with my life i'm sure everybody gets it i'm sure every single living person on the planet has at some point gone what the fuck am i doing i bet the queen's done it i bet elon musk has done it i bet you know every single living person on the planet has sort of just stopped from the from the the, the greatest genius to the lowliest shit picker i bet everyone's just sort of stopped and gone what the fuck am i even doing what is my life? What is this? What does it mean? What's, it, what's going on? So I probably shouldn't feel bad about having kind of existential punches like that every now and again. It is. It's, it's existential dread. It's existential stress. 
you know, what am I, what's the point of me, what am I meant to be doing? And I guess it's it's just something that, it's part of the human condition. So I shouldn't feel too bad about it, I shouldn't get too wound up and upset about it, I should just sort of sack up and get on with it. So, uh, yeah, here we go, sacking up and getting on with the episode. Um, yeah, so what is nostalgia? Uh, nostalgia comes from, I might have to pull up the Wikipedia article just to make life a little bit easier for myself, and also because I never quite got over that thing of using Wikipedia and so on to, like, we didn't really have Wikipedia when I was at school, but, you know, of, of sourcing info for that sort of thing from other sources. But I just want to make sure that I'm not talking out of my hoop like I was the other week. Okay, so nostalgia is defined as a sentimental longing or wistful affection for a period in the past. Um, a little bit more about it. It's a Greek compound word, um, frequently used in medieval Europe. Uh, oh, here we go, and this is what I was asked to, was the actual history of the word nostalgia. I knew it had something to do with Swiss soldiers, but I wasn't sure what, so here we go. It was coined by 17th century medical students to describe the anxieties displayed by Swiss mercenaries fighting away from home. Described as a medical condition, a form of melancholy in the early, early modern period, it became an, an important trope in romanticisms. Now, I am going to do an episode about romanticism later on, but because of, you know, as I say, it's still January, still New Year, we're still getting used to, to what we're even going to be doing for the rest of the year, let alone the rest of our lives. And what tends to happen, obviously, is you start reminiscing about times gone past, hence why, oh, I'll do one about nostalgia. Which then led on to a suggestion I got from a friend of mine for another episode, um, which is about the art of letting go. And that's going to be a sister episode to this one. But anyway, back on with nostalgia. Yeah, a melancholy, wistful... Um, reminiscing of the past. It's, it's where you get the term... You know, looking at the, uh, seeing the past through rose-tinted glasses, that sort of thing. Essentially, nostalgia, like a lot of things in our culture, has been completely commodified and 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 turned into something of a of a of a product that can be sold. Um, anyone that watches South Park will know about the member berries, which were characters that uh, <laughs> they, 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 they induce nostalgia or nostalgic whimsy. And they're these, these little characters that just go, Member? Do you remember? You remember? I remember. I remember. And it, it, ridiculous. I mean, South Park's genius, and I, it may have trailed off a bit recently, but it's there's still a core of it that's fantastic. That in itself is a great example of nostalgia. I remember watching South Park for the very first time in the late 90s, early 2000s. I remember it being this really shocking, kind of out of left field, like totally original thing, which sort of took the, the premise of adult cartoons and, and went berserk with it. I remember being originally shocked and howling with laughter at these sort of jokes that have actually been going for 20 years now. Oh, 20 years of South Park. That's amazing. And people are only complaining about it now. And, and The Simpsons have been going for 30 years now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Simpsons have been going for 30 years. And that got shit much earlier on, I think. I think that, that got shit about 15 years in, to be fair. But, uh... Yeah, so nostalgia 
is um, it's great. It's sort of like visiting a cosy little village. It's you you go there and then you can look at the beautiful little houses and the picket fences and the and the beautifully kept gardens and there's a there's an elderly lady walking a cute dog and it's 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 all very nice and then there's 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 a little librarian cycles past on a bicycle and there's a postman and isn't it lovely isn't it very picturesque you've got no idea what's going on in that village i mean behind closed doors it could be like a particularly bad episode of emmerdale it could be I mean, most of the houses could be empty because they're holiday homes, and and there's there's actually no one there, and it's it's whilst it's all pretty and manicured and stuff, it's it's actually sort of a Disneyland kind of effect. But you go and you look around, and it's lovely, and you keep saying, "I want to live here. I wish I'd lived here." I, you know, it's fantastic. Oh, it's so pretty, and oh, isn't it lovely? Isn't it lovely? And then you get on the bus or the train, or you get back in your car and you go home. That's what nostalgia should be is you 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 feel like that about the past whether it's you know cultural past or your own personal past or something like that and that's great and that's healthy but imagine that when you go home you then became obsessed with the little village when you'd be going about your daily life and the little village would just pop up in your head and you can't really live or get on with anything because you're constantly thinking of the cute little village and the lives of the people that may or may not live there and the, and your life and the life of those around you and, and stuff like that. Imagine if that was the case and you tried living with it on a daily basis. And in between, you know, the sort of the, the lovely village and stuff, you then remember all the awful stuff that led up to the, going to the cute little village, the, the, the fights or... Uh, or a car crash, or, you know, any number of things. So you have the cute little village, but the act of getting there was truly traumatic. And in thinking about the cute little village, you then become retroactively traumatised. You then It then dregs up all the horrible crap that led up to that point. That is what I've taken to calling toxic nostalgia. So if you think of regular nostalgia as a sort of whimsical longing for a past that may or may not have been, toxic nostalgia is, oh, this lovely thing that made me happy. Oh, God, no, 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 no. I don't want to remember that. I don't remember that side of things. I I don't need that kind of rampaging like a deranged rhino through my head. I just got over that. And here I am thinking about like the, the music or the clothes or the places or the people and then suddenly out of left field it's oh fuck wait 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 there was a lot of shit i had to wade through to get to that there was a lot of like pits full of shit covered spikes that i had to navigate oh no oh no 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 and then you end up feeling like absolute garbage um yeah that's what i'd call toxic nostalgia also any kind of nostalgia we're like oh i remember that oh that was lovely wasn't it and then realizing that actually it wasn't. That you know, when when you stop and think, and oh, remember that guy? He was great. And you're like, wait, no, no, he wasn't. He was a twat. Oh, oh, she was really nice. Well, oh no, she was a druggie, and she tried to mug me, and she she stole my boyfriend. And oh fuck, no, actually no. This oh no, oh no 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 no, I can't deal with this. And suddenly the cozy village that's easily marketable the 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 product that is nostalgia becomes this sort of rotten fruit in your hand and you can't get rid of it quick enough 
it's I mean it's completely individual obviously people are going to reminisce about their past and aspects of the past and it's always going to be good because that's how we're wired as humans in fact um there is a a kind of a, a cultural meme if you like that every single person is going to think that the period of their life between the ages of oh, I'm trying to remember the actual ages here but it's between sort of the ages of 14 and 21 that you're always going to think that those were the best years because I, it's something to do with brain development. It's something to do with how you, you your brain actually grows and, and what it latches onto at that time. So between the ages of, say, 14 and 21, if it was the early 1990s, like late 80s, early 90s, and you're fixated on that, that is going to be the best period to you. You know, oh, it was brilliant, you know, tapes and VHS and we all had ridiculous hair and we all wore leggings and we all, you know, wore high-top trainers and, and the lads had square haircuts and, and bomber jackets. Oh, it's fantastic. It was the best time. And all the music and the and the the, the, the the places that existed at the time, you know. Oh, we went to Wimpy and we always used to do this. And yeah, man, the late 80s, early 90s were the best period. You talk to someone that's the next generation up or down, they'll say, no, 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 no. The best period was the late 80s to early 70s or the late 90s to early 2000s and I latch onto that because the late 90s early 2000s is roughly when I was kind of you know without giving away too much about my age it was roughly when I was between the ages of 14 and 21 and objectively it wasn't there's I don't think really if we're if we're being completely objective and we're looking at things purely on the basis of say um economic wealth cultural stability, um, aesthetically pleasing fashions and so on. I don't think any of us alive today have ever lived through a decade that sort of ticked all those boxes. I mean, I'm thinking of my grandparents' generation and they would have been 14 to 21 during kind of the war, basically, or, or slightly after, post-war into kind of the mid-50s, I suppose. And they were kind of shit times if you were British, if we're being objectively... I mean, obviously you have the war itself, which is appalling and no one wants to live through. You have um, post-war Britain, which was, you know, people that were still rationing. Um, the, the place was being rebuilt. Um, there was still families dealing with very ingrained trauma that they, they, you know, their way of dealing with it was stiff upper lip. And... There's some arguments to be made that that's the best way of dealing with things. I don't think it was, because you look into the kind of the private lives of people that live through that, and they'll tell you, well, you know, yeah, it was all stiff upper lip on the surface. Under the surface, you had rampant alcoholism. You had domestic abuse. You had drug taking. And this is something no one talks about, about the, quote, greatest generation. Is yet, yeah, trauma can force you to deal with some truly appalling things, like constantly living with the threat of being murdered or constantly living with the threat of all of your loved ones being murdered, or constantly living with the threat that your entire house and all of your possessions can be taken away from you in any moment. But that's not a great way for someone to thrive. And it's not a great way to, for someone to sort of live healthily. And people of that sort of age might look back and go, oh, I loved the, you know, the, mu the music, wasn't it lovely? 
with the, the 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 sort of big bands and the and and everyone wore tweed and well, you know I I. <laughs> Uh, we, we recently went to Bletchley Park, which is, um, for those that don't know, it's where they decoded the Enigma code, which helped to, for the Allies to win World War II, apparently. Um, from the looks of things, they struggled a bit with quite a few of the codes, if we're being realistic. But, you know, a very interesting place. So if you're super into sort of wartime history, I, I thoroughly recommend it. It's a really interesting place. Also, Alan Turing, uh, they had a really lovely kind of moving um, ex- exhibit about him. And I did choke up, I did nearly do a cry in public in front of all these people reading about this bloke who did amazing things, who effectively kind of worked to save his country and was rewarded by being dragged through the courts, having his reputation demolished and all because he fell in love with... Oh, oh crap, here I go, smashing the place up again. <laughs> I've probably angered Alan Turing's ghost, no. Um, yeah, no, the, the, and the way they rewarded him was to throw him in jail and disgrace, well, threatened to throw him in jail and disgrace him and, and all because he fell in love with a man. And then even in court when he stood up and, and said, did you not think you did something wrong? He went, no, I don't see how what I did was wrong. And he was absolutely right. And yet there we go. And that's what happened to the poor guy. And so they have to retro- retroactively sort of pardon him and stuff. That's the thing, like, oh, the 40s and the 30s, weren't they great times? And uh, No. I mean, as I say, objectively, you can look at that and go, no. So there's one generation of people that you can say, you, you can look, look back on your big band music and your fashions and your and your the, the kind of stuff that you did for fun and that with, with sort of cosy glee. But at the end of the day, you have to admit, it wasn't a great time to be alive. So then you move on to the generation after, the sort of a boomer into, um, sort of baby boomers into kind of the 70s and uh, the 60s and such. Uh, I'm not skipping over the 60s, I'm just trying to think of like the, the, the key period that I'm talking about between the ages of 14 and 21. Um, so the, the, the post-war generation had their kids and then their kids grew up and the kids would have come of age in the sort of 70s. And again, they'll say, oh, 70s were the best fashion and the best music. And yeah, objectively, you can say, you know, culture-wise, yeah, there's really fucking amazing films and music and art and everything came out of the 70s. But again, in Britain, you have to look at things objectively and you have to say, well, no, economically, it was, uh, it was a bit banjaxed. It was fucked, wasn't it? Technologically, it hadn't quite got there. It's um, culturally still, uh, as far as social politics and stuff, was still a in very early teething and there's a whole you know wave of people that didn't have rights and and weren't protected and were still underground and and stuff like that so again you can't really say well no that's not the best time period objectively it was you know a bit crap i mean again the same could be said for the 60s same could be said for the 50s um, and then into the 80s. Oh, but surely the 80s must be a bit better. Because by that point, you know, people were getting their shit together and, and were, you know... No. Because <laughs> the thing with the 80s, yes, technology had advanced. Um, you had uh, empowerment, you know, especially for sort of women. And the gay rights movement was was on the up. And, you know, it was it was one of those sort of getting there, I suppose. But then you had the AIDS crisis. Then you had... Um, and then, and then you had like the, the Black Wednesday, I think it was in the early 90s. And then you, it's, 
this this boom bust economy thing sort of became the norm and then there were still wars and there was still misery and there was still economic collapse and there were still people that didn't have jobs and 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 just had a bit of a shit time but you, you have this sort of ever expanding kind of you know uh, uh, the the building up of of britain's uh, um, urban areas and so on with truly horrible architecture and this this sort of vague attempt at sort of comfy town planning where we're going to try and make places you know nice places to live and it just didn't quite work you had social schemes that didn't quite work but again, anyone that was between the ages of 14 and 21 during that period will say, no, it was brilliant, it was fantastic, it was the best. No. And again, into the 90s, exactly the same thing. And uh, and this is where it starts getting difficult for me to be objective about, because then we start hitting that personal benchmark of that the period that you were 14 to 21 of being the best time to be alive, of being the best period, of being the, the objectively best point of human of society and development and all the rest of it. it no no it wasn't even there either if we're being brutally honest i mean have you heard too unlimited have you ever seen proper 90s fashion is, is what even were pogs i i'm you know if if we are be, you know trying to be totally objective about it it was a bit shit snap bracelets and um Pat Sharp's Fun House. I guess if you were really into women, then the twins were a bit of a bonus. But I know I can't even get sort of whimsical and truly nostalgic about the 90s other than occasionally hearing a Britpop song on the radio or something that, you know, came out when I was about 14, 15 and kind of going, oh, I remember this. Oh, and then you feel shit because you remember, right, well, all the band are either, you know, in their 50s or dead <laughs> in some cases um it's it's again it just reminds me of, of the relentless march of time and and uh, and the fact that would you know is did that necessarily make life easier to live because you were listening to this sort of called comfy poppy guitar music that um that, that that sort of spoke to you at the time but you listen to it back and go well, it wasn't that good really I, I i mean they weren't bad I mean, I'm reminded of, uh, went to a festival last year and uh, one, the, the band that actually run the festival and, and maintain it and so on, they're very famous sort of 90s uh, kind of folk, uh, folk, folk punk. Oh, I've got hiccups now. I had acid reflux when I did episode one and I've got hiccups now. I think this is just my body's way of saying stop talking. No, stop, shut up, please. I can't cope. This is this is I'm really nervous. You're just gibbering. Please stop. So I'll stop with a little slurp of water. Uh, and now a burp. Why does it do it? Why can't I have a cough button? I, d I, I have no idea how to make this work. I, I'm going to talk to people who are a bit more technical and more aware of this sort of thing and try and sort something out. It might just be me a case of flinging the microphone across the room while I hiccup, like cough and burp. And if I do all three at once, I might explode, which would probably be interesting to listen to. But you wouldn't get a podcast out of it. Um, where was I? Oh yeah. So festival I went to. It's run by a band that uh, was sort of folk punk, quite famous. Won't name them. I think most people know who I'm talking about anyway. Uh, but they a few years ago 
uh, about 15 years ago, in fact, started their own festival, and they have such a, a, a dedicated core following of fans that there were always enough people coming to this festival that, you know, they never really had to worry about sort of mainstream success or anything. But it was interesting that a lot of the bands that they had supporting them, and have had supporting them in the past, are bands that in their heyday, in the 90s, kind of looked down their noses at them. Uh, the, you know, the, these were sort of, it was Britpop bands, it was bands that were um, commercially approved of and got the thumbs up and stuff like that. And then um, there's, there's the band that, that I love, the favourite band of mine, uh, that were running this festival, were sort of considered outliers and sort of in, uh, in the art world it's called outsider art, so I guess you could call it outsider music really. Um, yeah, no one liked them and just went on about how shit they were and how they were all scabby and no one should like them and basically because they upset the music press because they didn't buy into the music press's bullshit and the music press at the, that time and it's so hard to think of now I mean, the press generally is essentially a, a toothless beast but back in the 90s the the actual magazine music press were the dog's bollocks they they ran the show and if the enemy or Melody Maker or, or any any others of them basically made or broke bands in the UK, which is distressing to think of now in, you know, this sort of, bearing in mind we live in a society where if you're in a band and you want to release music, you just do it. You didn't have to worry about um, press getting the press involved and getting approval and, and getting good reviews and stuff like that. You can just release a song and it will go viral and people will like it or they won't like it. Which is great in its own way, and sort of slightly bad for bands now, because in the era of, of big industrialised music, um, they were kind of, if you got big, you got seriously big, you made millions, that was you set for life. These days, you've got big headlining bands, like bands at the top of the charts, that still have to work day jobs to, to get them about, you know, drive their own vans and shit like that, and it's so bizarre to think of that this this sort of hyper-popular artist or band or, or, or whatever is basically still living with his mum or her dad or, you know, the, they they still have to work at Waitrose or whatever. It's 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 a little bit distressing given that how I grew up and, and what I saw growing up. But, uh, yeah. So anyway, back to nostalgia and these bands that were... I always thought were good and such. Um, so going to this festival last year, obviously all these bands have aged, for starters. That's just going to happen. The music still sounds great, admittedly, but it was just a very bizarre thing to have them essentially downgraded and having to support this other band that they had jumped on the bandwagon as it existed in the music press in the 90s and absolutely hated them. And now here they were supporting them because they can't get any other gigs. And the only people, the only sort of audience they have left to appeal to are people of my age who in the 90s were, were kids. That was the music they were buying. That was the music that was on the radio. And it, it is appealing to that nostalgia button, to, the, to that nostalgia drive. You could call it the nostalgia industry, if you like. You know, the 90s revival as it's happening now is exactly that. It's to appeal to people of my current generation who in the late 90s to early 2000s were 14 to 21. And I'm sure even people today who are 20-something, uh, we'll say mid to late 20s, 
who were you know 14 to 21 in the early to mid 2000s uh, you know uh, late 2000 2010 into that uh, looking back on on this stuff from 10 years ago 12 15 years ago and saying that was the shit that was awesome i remember life being a lot fucking better then so objectively that was a better time period now it's cobblers now it's bullshit now i don't know what the fuck's going on what even is mumble rap who are these people i i can't even like get terrible food that, that glows in the dark anymore because i have to you know everything's organic and 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 it's it's just and everything's shit and everything's going to shit and everyone's mental when, when did that happen i just no fuck it and they're retreating into their own world and they're 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 filling their lives up with with stuff that entertains them as they absolutely should but again it's fascinating to see that you have generation after generation after generation of people that will maintain this same pattern, this same core idea that when they were 14 to 21, life was better, everyone dressed better, the music was better, and even the weather was better. You know, life was better generally. And that's not even including sort of nostalgia hum uh, boners that people get for things that happened in their actual childhood not just you know 14 to 21 i mean like as i say i was 14 to 21 in the late 90s early 2000s but i remember stuff from the 80s as a kid and just thinking it was the best thing loving these shows and loving these films and loving this music and such despite the fact that you know again objectively kind of shit really you know, I used to watch cartoons that you watch now as an adult and go, Oh my god, that's terrible! That was drawn by someone with their foot upside down in a bin. On fire, possibly, as well. Just truly awful. And you look at the films and it's like, Oh, it's so cheesy. Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, yes. No, you know, again, the sort of the, the retro 80s kind of hard-on that people have. And it's it's spawned a sort of sub-genre that exists now in the sort of synth wave and, 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 and sleep wave art and shit like that, you know. But it's, again, objectively, you watch it, you're like, Oh, the effects in this are dire. I'm embarrassed. I mean, like, a great example of that is Robocop, the first Robocop. I remember watching that as a kid, being scared shitless and slightly disturbed, especially by the Melty Man at the end. You know what I'm talking about. Remember? Remember Melty Man? Melty Man from Robocop, you remember? Yeah, I did, and it upset me. Watched it again, kind of semi-recently, and you're like, this is cack. This is ridiculous. This is funny, actually. And just laughing my ass off at it. I can't believe I was so scared and wound up by this. But again, it's about perception. And it's about who you were at the time versus who you are now. Now, who I was at the time was a, a, a you know, a, a tiny kid. Um, as I say, when did Robocop come out? Actually, it probably came out a few years before I was even old enough to see it on telly. But it was definitely on TV. Like it was, a, like it was being shown on TV. I wasn't watching like a video or anything. Uh, VHS for those that, that need to be reminded. Not anything on YouTube. Um, but yeah, I remember watching it and and being absolutely appalled, and and like gave me nightmares and such. But I watch it as an adult, and it's now in the in the twenty first century when I've been inundated for the last 15 years with very high concepts you know sort of well rendered cgi films and such to the extent that i do sometimes wonder when i watch a film is that cgi is that real 
You know, some stuff that you see and it's like, oh no, that was actually a puppet. Oh, I thought it was CGI and not being able to tell the difference and the whole uncanny valley thing that happens sometimes as well with some of them. Yeah, it's it's very odd and it's very weird and it's about realising that, that these things were always objectively what they were and did what they did. It's not really anything to do with you and anything objective or subjective even. It's literally just... When you are this age, you are taking the world in. You're, you're trying to understand the world as you see it. And that's a pivotal moment. That's a pivotal moment in basic human development. And you couple that with um, any number of things that are going on around you. So, for example, if you were a kid during the war, you're going to grow up with this constant idea of... You know, you've got everyone's being lovely and happy and smiley and there's everyone's putting on a show... But everyone is terrified. There is a lot of shit to be genuinely scared of. Because, as I say in the UK is a great example, people you know could be dying. People you know could die tomorrow. You could die tomorrow. So you can agonise about it and hide in the bomb shelter and never leave the house. Or, you put on a brave face, you keep calm and you carry on. You know, this is this is why the keep calm, carry on thing sort of resurfaced semi-recently as well. It's... It's almost like culture falls back on that as a way of kind of... It's it's both nostalgia and continual relevance, I think. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't just remind you of a time when there were terrible things happening, but you got through it. It's, it's also... There's terrible things happening now, and sometimes you do just have to get through it. Um... But talking about sort of resurgence of, of pop culture and 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 items and and fashions and so on as they come back, there's a thing a toy a term I coined um, recently, uh, well last year I think it was um, that I, you know I quite like to share with you guys and maybe you'd, you'd like to use it in the future, nostalgia tax. When you're reminded of something brilliant from your past from even when you were a kid, or just a teenager, or just a younger, healthier, happier, better person, um, you'll hear music, or you'll see a fashion item, or you'll see a toy, or a, a, even a furniture, or there'll be a location, or something that reminds you of that period of your life, and you're like, where's my wallet? Take all my money, I want this back! Ah! And... Yeah, next thing you know, you spent 50-odd quid on these games that you used to play when you were a kid, or these toys that you used to play with, or you've you've gone on holiday to a location that you went on holiday to quite a lot when you were an adult, um, when, 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 that your family took you to when you were a kid, and but now you're an adult, it's a little bit run down, a little bit depressing, but you go, and you don't see the paint coming off the walls, and you don't smell the drains going and you uh, when you're playing with these toys you don't notice that they're just sort of basically useless lumps of plastic when you're playing the game you don't notice how sort of polygonal and blocky and a bit crap that is it's you are completely immersed in a time period in a in an aspect of your own past than you are with an object or a place or a thing you know you go to a, a retro clothing place and you look at the tops or whatever. It's, I had that t-shirt. I had that t-shirt. It's not your actual t-shirt, but you buy it and you wear it because you know this. It's everything. Everything goes around in cycles and it's trendy now and it's okay. And then you wander around and you're like, 
what am I trying to get back by having this thing? And why do I feel like I've been mugged in order to do it? And that's what I describe as nostalgia tax. It's, it's money taken off of you that probably shouldn't be taken off of you in order to maintain a, a mood, a vibe, a feeling, a thought, a place, a memory, however you want to look at it. You're not buying an item, you're trying to claw back a bit of your past and possibly with it a bit of your past happiness. So there we go, feel free to use that one. Um, I'm looking at my notes, I think I've hit all my key points. I, you know, I'm still doing this buzz note thing and, and free-forming a, a podcast out of it. Because again, it does seem like people like it when I ramble. And I get the feeling a lot of people are probably similar to me in that they listen to podcasts as they're falling asleep. So listening to someone ramble will sort of help them go, oh, there we go. You don't necessarily have to listen to or understand anything I'm saying, and I don't blame you if you don't, but there we go. So now I'm going to move on to the music section. And this week's music recommendation or track or uh, track for um, to dissemination and I'd, I'd like to, uh, you know, give to you guys as a gift, uh, maybe is something that will trigger that um, that nostalgia spike. It'll give you that little oxytocin hit of happiness, so, you know, the little dopamine splash from when you were a kid and you were watching telly. Now, this is specifically going to be for people that were kids in the 80s. Uh, it's an 80s track, and it's a track from an 80s cartoon that was, I say popular. It was one of these ones that was always on, but when you watched it, nothing seemed to happen. Honestly, I think I watched more or less every other episode of this cartoon, and I swear to God, God, like literally nothing happened in it. So there were some guys and they did a thing, but I couldn't tell you what it was. But what kept me hooked and what kept me going back and what piqued my interest was the music, specifically the theme tune, uh, the intro and outro theme tunes. There were two different ones, but it was the most epic 80s power pop. And uh, there were a couple of 80s TV shows, actually, that had this, but the, the theme tunes were specific to the show. Like, uh, Jason the Wild Warriors is a great example. That was one where it was, you know, the, the, the chorus was Jason the Wild Warriors. So you knew exactly what the song was about and who it was aimed at. Um, G.I. Joe is another one, Thundercats. You know, all of those sort of ones had um, specific themes that directly referenced the show itself. This cartoon... I swear the theme tune was just a random song that the people that made the series really liked. They then asked the artist, is it cool if we use this song as the theme tune? And she went, yeah, go on. Or I don't even know if she went, yeah, go on, because she was the singer. It was actually written by three different guys. Um, and I guess maybe they just went along with it. Now, um, as, an, as, as a singer, she was really popular in Canada. In fact, she's a Canadian singer. And it was a, a massive hit there. And I think it's also where the cartoon series I'm talking about came from as well. Um, but, but not really well known anywhere else. I'm not sure if it was very well known in the US, but it was certainly a thing here. And again, it was just a very peculiar series in that it was almost like Slice of Life, but they the characters had adventures, but they just seemed to be so mundane and, and uneventful that you just kind of go, 
What, what even, where did that 10 minutes or 20 minutes go? I think the episodes were about 10 minutes a pop. It's usually the case with cartoons in the 80s. But absolute stonking theme tune. Stonking 80s pop here. And here it is. It's Lisa Lockheed singing Run With Us, the theme to the raccoons. Darkness 
There we go. How about that? Wasn't that a belter? I was bopping around and then I had to run downstairs and let the other half in because I accidentally locked him out. Oh, good tune, that. It's objectively naff, but also a really good tune. It's fun. It's fun to dance around to. There we go. Deal with that as you will. Okay, so what are we up to time-wise? Like nearly 45 minutes? Nearly 45 minutes in. So I guess I'll start doing a final thought ramble, if you can call it that. Um, I'm going to go with a quote. I'm going to start off with a quote, or possibly end with a quote. What do you reckon? I'll start with a quote, and then, because it's my thing, I may as well add my own doodad after it. So here we go. My favourite authors of all time was the late, great Terry Pratchett genius wonderful writer hilarious naturally funny moving uh, you see you read his books and they start off as sort of especially the first few as just parodies and, and and piss takes of sort of established fantasy books and then they start filling up with sort of actual heart-rending storyline and pathos and the characters become more and more alive and less and less like caricatures and it's it's fantastic a fantastic sort of um, to trace his writing through the years and then sort of towards the end obviously he suffered with terrible Alzheimer's and but literally kept going to the end and, and with the help of his assistant and his daughter and sort of various people wrote continually good books until yeah right at the last minute and I and a lot of people bawled our eyes out when he died it was just one of those things but a few years ago um uh, Terry wrote a book called I Shall Wear Midnight, which is fantastic. Uh, a lovely book, wonderful. Um, I, it, it just one of those stories that affects you, if you're a girl, really. I mean, it, it should affect you if you're a person, full stop, but it definitely affects me like personally as a woman. Um, my strong female heritage. <laughs> um, but no, it's, I identified strongly with the main character, is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, but within that, there was a there was a quote, and it's fa- and it's it's just again part of Pratchett pathos. I think Pratchett pathos should have been a thing. I think the man was a philosopher more than anything. that should be recognised as such. But this is a quote of his that I put up everywhere, and I I keep written down. Really, I should if I was that sort of person, I'd probably get it tattooed on me somewhere. But I don't like the idea of getting tattooed that's writing because I'm not a notepad. But there we go. Less chatting. If you don't know where you come from, then you don't know where you are. And if you don't know where you are, then you don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, you're probably going wrong. And what does that have to do with nostalgia? Well, that's part of knowing where you came from. And to an extent, knowing where you are now. The things that defined the world around you when you were a kid and made sense to you as you were growing up. These are the sorts of things that, you know, can inform who and what you are and what you eventually become. If all that you focus on from your past is all the stuff that you liked and all the things that you enjoyed and all the the material, ephemeral crap that influenced you absolutely and made you feel that you had a handle on the world and you 
the world made sense because you were a part of a group, you were part of a fan base, you were on the cusp and the, 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 the you know the bleeding edge of a fashion trend or you know whatever it happened to be. You know these things are great and keep us in check and keep us going in the sort of wild, ungodly human zoo that we're a part of. The uh, the sad fact is, it's you are not defined by the things that defined you when you were 14 to 21. That your nostalgia and your love of the past is just that. It's nostalgia and it's a love of the past. It is not your future and it is not who you are necessarily now. And I know for a lot of people it's very difficult to find find out who they are to know where they're going to know where they're going to end up and that's what I mean I started off this podcast talking about how I I had a moment earlier today of oh my god what am I doing what am I doing what even is this and then you fall into the the nostalgia puddle the the cuddly warm picket fenced village the 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 cozy rose tinted fluffy past to make life a little bit easier and I was like oh no I'll I'll listen to some music or I'll I'll look at old pictures or I'll watch old films or you know the things that I loved should maybe give me some sense of direction now not always not necessarily um you may or may not know you've probably gathered from listening to this I'm what's called a recovering goth not recovering particularly well I do still wear an awful lot of black I still own a pair of new rocks I, um, I I like that aesthetic and to be fair as far as sort of wider society is concerned goths are okay now they sort of went from being the 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 source of all evil and they were a, a blight and sort of especially in the wake of Columbine and such like that and again talking about nostalgia you remember Columbine? you remember? you remember those guys murdered those kids? remember? but goths uh, sort of went uh, even when they kind of came to to popular recognition in the 80s um, were always kind of seen as 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 you know dangerous which i never understood because if you ever meet a goth they're just the most mellow easygoing people you know well they're either mellow and easygoing or they're pretentious or but for the most part they are harmless like up and down no one is going to be mugged by a rampaging gang of goths no one's going to have their day ruined because someone's walked up to them and they're wearing a Bauhaus t-shirt that doesn't happen um but yeah as my talking about 14 to 21 my that that period of my life that uh is seven years isn't it well that particular seven year cycle was was when i discovered goth as a as a as a cultural thing as a as a, as a subculture as a as a trend as a as a as something that made an awful lot of sense to me because i'd always liked the aesthetic i suppose without really knowing what it was called and i always liked the, the kind of darker heavier music but again I was mainly a mainstream baby. Like I didn't have access to 
to uh, tape players and uh, you know, tape sharing that people talk about and because and, again you know I'm old so everything was done on tape it wasn't on the internet I think if the internet had existed when I was that age it would have been much easier for me to sort of discover the goth scene and stuff but you know you have to do things the old fashioned way which was you know I, I bought Kerrang and I, I discovered music and I, I bought the CDs and went to gigs and I went into Camden on a on a religious regular basis and yeah I'll be honest I am roaringly nostalgic for that period of time that particular place and everything that represented which is why even at 30 I still wear black a lot I still own a pair of new rocks I I do like cobweb tights I might not wear them all the time and that sort of thing but it's also understanding that there was a period before that when I was 13, when I was 12, when I was 10, when I was 6, and all of those things that I get nostalgic about have also informed me, and it's still there, but when I was, when I went goth, when I was 15, when I was, I, you, you feel like you need to fit in, or you spend a big chunk of your life feeling like you have to fit in and you don't, so then you find this group of people that also don't fit in, but also have their own rules and their own regulations. And then you get into this mindset of, well, if I just stick to those rules, if I just do that thing, then I'll definitely fit in with at least somebody. And it did, in a manner of speaking, it did work. Um, but of course, it's being a teenager is horrible. Being in your in your twenties is horrible. That whole changeover from your teens to your twenties is just a conflation of horror that that you go from this point where you're being babied and 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 you you're not allowed to have um certain responsibilities but then you're suddenly having all of these responsibilities foisted on you because you go to bed one night you're a child and you wake up the next day you're an adult and you're expected to have it together and you're expected to just just make it work and you're just you can't that's impossible no one can i think of anyone that, that that ever felt like you know i was 18 or i was you know, a kid, and then I was expected to be an adult just immediately, it's going to freak out about that and and feel like, well, I'm doing it wrong. I must be doing it wrong. I must be fucking something up. I must be defective in some way, shape, or form. Why haven't I got this? Why can't shit be simpler? Why can't shit be like when I was a kid? And that overlap, there's this nostalgic overlap, this, 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 constant looking back to the past as a way of explaining the present and trying to find a way through the future is good in some regards and as much like I was talking about with the village you can view it as somewhere to visit somewhere nice to be somewhere nice to 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 plant yourself for a little while and then you can move away from it and if there is trauma in your past, if there are terrible events that you'd rather forget, but at the same time you want to remember the good parts, then that's that's a struggle. And that is, I, I do, I, I do sympathise completely. And this is what I'm going to be talking about, or part of what I'm going to be talking about in the next episode and possibly future episodes. Um, I have a lot of tra- uh, trauma in my past. I know a lot of people who've had a lot of trauma in their past. In fact, most of my friends seem to be of that ilk seem to be people that that life has absolutely shat on and done disgusting things to and they seem to have suffered like I have, we seem to have matching scars almost 
and so nostalgia is a it becomes a crutch it becomes a, a, you know something to lean on it becomes something to, to help you get to grips with yourself not just the world around you and that can be toxic and we're back to toxic nostalgia um, the fact that in the Middle Ages it was referred to as melancholia, it, it was linked with what we would now call depression, says a lot. Because a key component of depression, of the causes of depression, is something called rumination. The constant playing over of past events in a, as a way of trying to understand and make sense of current situations or current emotions. Rumination is the road to ruin. I mean, it's normal to think back on past events. If you're suffering, if you're in pain, if you're in a bad place, you want to know how you got there so you can understand to, like, how to never end up there again. That's normal. That is how humans defend themselves mentally. That, that's... If you're... Uh, you go back to being monkeys on the, on the savannah and all you know is you were walking through a particular patch of savannah and a thing tried to eat you, a thing tried to chase you, you know, a tiger or a wolf or a, or a giant sloth or whatever, just suddenly took a swing at you, suddenly went for you, tr suddenly tried to absolutely fuck you up, to eat you, to, to kill you, to ruin your day completely. Um, you'll bolt, the fight or flight kicks in, and you'll get away. Because, you know, we're working on the assumption that this, this sort of prehistoric hominid has managed to get away. And then what will happen is they'll hide up a tree or in a cave or, or something like that and they'll try and work out what went wrong. How do I avoid that happening again? Because that fucking sucked. I was happily merrily stomping along minding my own business and then this big fuck off asshole of an animal tried to f absolutely wreck me. And I really, really don't want that to happen again. I'm in a lot of, uh, of stress right now. My heart's going, it's, I'm panicky, it's, this is a bad place to be in. Let's work out, let's play back what happened that led up to that and what I can do in the future to avoid that happening again. That's what rumination is. But rumination is that instinct, that, that, that drive, gone rotten. It's, it's gone overboard it, and, it, and, it, and it becomes stuck in this loop. You become stuck in this, in this thought pattern of constantly going over what could I have possibly done differently? When was when was the good period? Where was the good place to be in time? And that is what nostalgia as an industry, and that's what nostalgia tax is trying to take out of your pocket. So bear that in mind. So the next episode is, as I say, it's a sister episode to this one, so it's going to be a follow-on from this and it's going to be following on the, the the bridge if you like between this episode and the next episode is going to be rumination um obsessing about the past and uh, and about how to let it go uh, but for now uh we're hitting the hour mark and i think it's time for me to find that rope ladder and sling it up over the top of the chasm and so you can all find your way back out but hopefully see you again soon